You're listening to the Hustler Hot Seat Podcast, episode number 21. In this episode, I sat down with the beautiful Julia Rose, and we talked about what it takes to create good content, how you can take the leap from your corporate career to a freelancing one, and how to hone in on your niche audience. Julia is a content writer and communications expert. She helps purpose-driven companies write powerful brand messaging and content. With over eight years' experience in public policy, agency, and research, Julia takes a holistic approach to her work. When she's not publishing unstuffy reports for the Mars Discovery District, Carlin Purcell, or writing for Fembot, she's blogging on Medium and sharing her authentic experiences. People love working with Julia because of her kind, thoughtful, evidence-driven approach to content. Her results grow audiences, sell tickets, and get people to stop, listen, and take action. I had such an amazing time talking with Julia last week, and I am so excited to share with you everything that she has to offer. So without further ado, let's dive in. You're listening to The Hustler Hot Seat, and I'm your host, Kirsten Perry. I help young entrepreneurs turn their passions into profit-building businesses. From marketing for your niche to partnering with your ideal clients, I'm here to help, and so are some of my fellow entrepreneurs. So grab a coffee, sit back, relax, worry about the hustle later, and let's get to it. Hello, Julia, and welcome to the Hustler Hot Seat. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. Thanks for having me. I want to start the episode off with you telling us your story. So tell us a little bit about you. Okay. I am running my own business. This came about over the last year um, because I was pretty lost in the corporate world, and my background is in writing and public policy. And so I was sort of feeling my way out in the Toronto industry, working in an agency, working in public policy. And then I unexpectedly lost a job last February and just thrust myself into the world of solo entrepreneurship. So now the business that I run is as a content and communications writer for purpose-driven companies. And specifically, I help people write content that gets people listening, supporting, and taking action. Wow, that's amazing. I can imagine it was quite scary having lost your job and then having to just kind of wing it. That's basically my motto, as I usually say, that I'm just winging it. And I feel like as an entrepreneur, that's something you're always, always doing. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about your business a little bit more and what inspired you to get into content creation. And I know you mentioned that you have a specific niche that you speak to, but like, tell us a little bit about that and why that is the niche that you've chosen. Yeah. So for me, my, all of my studies and all of my background was in environmental studies and climate change. So I went into my undergrad really searching for something that was purposeful and felt uh, like a good place to direct my skills and time and energy. So for me now, 
I guess, let me back up and say that while I was in that degree, there was a, a variety of ways that you could adapt it. And what always kind of struck me was the lack of people that were going into communications and public policy. Because when you think about big issues like climate change, where there's a lot of action required, we need a lot of people on board and we need a lot of people to take action and to do things in their everyday life. Otherwise, we're not going to make any change on issues. So I really saw, I saw so few of my classmates dedicating time into communicating about those topics in ways that regular people could understand. So that really, that fueled me at the time to investing more of my energy in things like um, journalism, communication, policy, politics, and government. Whereas a lot of my other classmates were investing their time in things like planting trees, restoring different kinds of environmental sites. And that's also really beautiful work, but I felt really strongly connected to communicating. So that's really how like that connected for me. And, and I've also always been a writer. So it kind of makes a lot of sense. Like as a, as a young child, I was writing short stories and writing poetry. And there's a lot of beliefs about professional writing that are, I believe, untrue. But a lot of them, like you can't make money, it's impossible to do, you won't be successful doing it. So I kind of took those on and, and didn't explore this field because, because I believed those things. It's crazy how some of the lies that were told growing up actually weasel their way into the actions that we take and sometimes it can be scary going against what people are saying especially if those people are of a higher authority than you maybe it's supposed to be somebody that you look up to and respect but you don't necessarily agree with what they're saying I know Mm -hmm. for a fact that I've dealt with some of that stuff before too and if you're going into the entrepreneurship space I feel like you kind of have to turn a blind eye to those things that people say and just kind of do your own thing and take those risks because without the risks, then there's no real rewards. Yeah, I agree. Um, Totally. I do want to talk about this concept of being a solopreneur, um, mostly because I feel like it can get really lonely. I have come from a very small city and I found it super challenging to be able to talk to anyone in that city about how I was feeling regarding my business because there weren't a lot of entrepreneurs and it was always hard to kind of get the support that I needed. And then when I moved to Toronto, it seemed a little bit easier, but it's still Mm -hmm. not the easiest thing to do. And I want to know if you've experienced anything similar. Um, in terms of like looking for guidance as you started your business? Absolutely. I think part of changing your life is finding a circle of people that are either changing their life at the same time or have already changed their lifestyle. So for example, I I moved to Toronto full-time in 2014 and I pursued full-time work exclusively. So everybody in my circle of friends in my periphery was doing full-time work. So it would have been impossible for me at the time to imagine anything else because no one around me was doing anything differently. And slowly, because I'm also, I'm deeply connected to the arts community as a professional or semi-professional dancer as well. I started to see people that were 
forging their own income stream and doing three jobs at once, or they were acting and dancing and singing. It just really opened my eyes to this other world of making your income. And I do come from a family that's very education-driven, pension-driven. My parents are accountants. And (laughs) my mom actually is a musician, but left that field because of the insecurity, and putting that in quotes for people listening, um, the insecurity that being a musician would have given her in contrast to the security of working for a big firm like Deloitte, which is the one that she worked for for her whole career. Um, So that was my upbringing. And and then my space in Toronto for four years until I lost my job unexpectedly. And then I just started introducing more, I think, information about different lifestyles into my periphery, like following different people. Um, And I have to shout out to Make Lemonade, which is the co-working space that I have been a member at for over a year because I truly believe that without that space, I would have quit doing this a long time ago. And for those that don't know, this is an all women's co-working space in downtown Toronto. And I just started, I started going there more often, maybe once a week when I got um, let go. And it was, it was instrumental because I got to see that it was possible and people around me were doing it and it wasn't easy, but there's absolutely no way that I could have done it on my own in my small basement apartment at the time. I just needed to ask people questions. (laughs) Of course, of course. And there's always the people, like there's that quote that says that you are the sum of the five people that you spend the most time with. Mm-hmm. And that's something I've really been focusing a lot on lately too, just making sure I'm surrounding myself with people who have similar visions or people who are in similar careers so that I can learn and grow from them. Because if you surround yourself with people who don't understand or they've never tried being an entrepreneur their advice isn't necessarily going to work for you. Absolutely. And it it can be really deteriorating hearing the things that they're saying and the questions they're asking. And yeah, they might be valid questions like, well, what are you going to do if you lose your business? What are you going to do if you can't afford rent? Like those are valid. Mm -hmm. And deep down inside, we know that those are actual questions that can be asked. But when you're starting something so new and so fresh, that's not really the kind of energy you need backing you. 100%. So I do think that you going to make lemonade and being inspired by the other women there that are also starting their own businesses, like that's, like you said, instrumental. And I'm really glad that you had that as an option when you first started. Yeah. And, and on that belief system, there's such an interesting thing that even my mom just said to me this morning, because I'm looking at new apartments and she said to me, well, you don't have a secure monthly income. And I find that such a, it's such an interesting thing to reflect on because don't I? It's up for debate, I think, because do, do I have a secure monthly income when I, when I work at a corporation? Yes, maybe, unless I get fired unexpectedly. But I mean, really, nothing is secure. And if anything, I feel more in control of my income and my future because I know that it's me now that's in charge of it. And it's I'm not outsourcing my living 
potential or my living situation or my monthly income to someone else's decision making. So it feels way more empowering as opposed to disempowering at this point. For sure. I've been asked so many questions very similar to that, especially around money, because my mom's biggest concern was, well, are you making money? (laughs) How many clients do you have? As if like a certain number of clients meant that I was secure, which absolutely means nothing. I could have 20 clients and still be struggling to live, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, trying to keep those lines of communication open with the people who haven't experienced it so that they kind of see where you're coming from and so that they don't worry too, especially if it's like a family member that has cared for you. They just want what's best for you. Yeah. But they're also in a different generation too. Like they don't, this is not the norm for them. Whereas I feel like our generation, it is the norm and more and more people are venturing into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Since you've started your business, what would you say the biggest challenge has been? There have been so many, so many different levels of learning for me. So I think the, I mean, one thing I'll say about how I entered into entrepreneurship is that I didn't plan for it. So one of the challenges was Uh, going through an emotional time with being let go and also trying to empower myself to start something new. That tension is really tricky. And anyone that has been, has been fired before will tell you how hard it is to um, you do just lose a piece of your confidence and a piece of your belief that you are amazing and that you deserve things. And so There is sort of like the initial three-month, six-month period where I was really gentle with myself. So that was definitely challenging. And then there's all the other aspects of doing everything yourself, like bookkeeping and marketing and client management. Um, How much should I charge? Invoicing. How to do sales calls. Okay, I I actually think that sales calls and selling was a big piece for me that... I felt really gross about. I was like, oh, I'm not selling. I don't, I don't even, I didn't like the word sales before maybe a couple months ago, where now I'm, I I say to people specifically, I'm about to go have a sales call, which I think is a great big shift for me. Um, Yeah, that, that whole like stepping into the power of, of offering a service and feeling good about it. Like there's a lot of, juicy stuff around that, that you really, you cannot avoid when you're doing it just by yourself. Of course. I definitely experienced the same thing. There were so many things. So I actually graduated from the University of Windsor (coughs) business program. And there were so many things that I still didn't know about starting your own business Mm -hmm. when I started mine. So I had no idea about like, I knew I had to do bookkeeping, but I didn't know who to contact. I didn't know if I should be doing it myself or if I should be looking for somebody else to do it for me. I felt the exact same way about sales. I still kind of feel the exact same way about sales. It feels gross to me having to make those calls, even though I know that they're important. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a huge learning curve. And it, it's, it never stops really. I feel like we're always learning and we always feel like we could be better. One of the biggest things I would say that 
like I'm still working on is the whole pricing thing, Mm -hmm. but also putting my service out there and standing behind it and being like, yes, this, this is, this is for you. This is why you need it. Because sometimes I look around and I'm like, well, that person also does what I do, or they have more education backed behind them. Mm -hmm. And it's, you start to have that self-doubt kind of play in and that can really, really affect your overall success. Absolutely. But getting over it, it's, it's, it's hard. Like, like I still struggle with it. So do you have like any advice maybe for people that are dealing with kind of some self-doubt and how they can really stand behind the product or service that they're offering? Yes. What has been so helpful for me is, okay, a couple things. One is deeply understanding who I want to serve and then getting to know that person so intimately that I don't believe there's any other person that can serve that person the way that I can. So then it becomes my mission to find that person and show them who I am, as opposed to uh, trying to be someone else, which is something I did a lot last year when I was starting out as a, quote, freelancer, as opposed to a business owner, which I think are very different things. I was just looking around and seeing, oh, how's everyone freelancing? And I'll just do that. And I I really forgot who I was last year. So now this year, I feel much more intentional to target the person that I really want to serve. And that helps me feel aligned with them. And that serves my purpose to find them and not to feel doubtful about it. Um, And then, oh, there was other ideas that I had and now they're leaving my brain. Um, but I, oh, so I think that understanding the value of what you bring as opposed to the deliverables and the outputs, because the more you focus on like, oh, it's going to be, so for me, I'm a professional writer. It's going to be five pages, a thousand words, and I'm going to charge per word or something like that, which a lot of writers do. If you focus on the value that you bring and the value that it serves for the person that you're selling it to, all of a sudden there's less doubt because you feel grounded in what you're actually giving and offering. That's been so helpful. I do think a lot of clients, they want to see results. So if you can go in and you can be like, okay, this is what the result is going to be and this is the value it's going to provide you Mm -hmm. versus you get X amount of hours of my time. Yes. Kind of thing. Yes. Value pricing instead of time and yeah, word count or hourly rate stuff is mm-hmm. is very strange because it's really common in the consulting world to, to have an, a billable rate. Uh, and the moment I started moving beyond that, then the question came back to me of like, do I actually know my own value and my own benefit? And that was mm-hmm. that was a tough like mental period to get through because there was a lot of belief in me that maybe what I offer isn't really that valuable. And then you you kind of have to go through that period where you're like, am I good at this? Because maybe I'm not. And, and I really did doubt myself. And today I can confidently say that today in this moment, I do not doubt my abilities. And I believe I have amazing value to provide. But there are definitely days where I don't feel that way. It's so interesting to 
to just hear the stories of other entrepreneurs that are all going through the same thing. Mm-hmm. We all started out the same. We all go through those doubts. And I really liked when you talked about honing in on a niche and like knowing that person very intimately so that there is no other better person. Right. I, I think a mistake that a lot of people make when they first start their business is they try to be everything to everybody. And I'm guilty of that. I was like, oh, all these people want to do work with me. Even if I didn't feel like it was right, I was like, yes. And then I had to learn the power of saying no. Mm-hmm. And that was hard for me because when you say no, you're turning away money. And money, as much as we hate to admit it, is a huge part of our everyday life. And in order to do things, you have to have money. And nobody ever wants to turn away something that's going to bring in additional income. Yep. But but I think what you're saying, like being really strategic about the niche that you're working with and again, like knowing them very, very personally is like essential. So I love, I love, love, love that. Yeah. Um, you also mentioned in your intake form about changing up jobs. So I do want to just touch on that a little bit. Personally, I'm a firm believer that you have to change up your job quite often to find the thing that really brings you the most joy. So do you have any advice for someone who wants to maybe take the leap into freelancing but is scared to do it? Like what kind of steps would they have to take in order to maybe shift from a corporate career to a freelancing career? I see a lot of people doing what we in this community seem to call the side hustle. And that was never for me, ever. I am someone who has very very clear and intentional boundaries between work and life. So I, I don't desire to work 24-7. So I'm not a big fan of the side hustle. I'm not a big fan of, of the workaholic lifestyle. So my advice is jump. If you want to do it and you're not happy where you are, just get out. Um, if you have time to build a financial cushion, that's amazing. Obviously, with my situation with being unexpectedly let go, I was able to collect EI from the government, which was a beautiful way for me to transition. So that's probably helpful if you are going to jump without anything built. Um, but there's a really cool quote that I like to remind myself of whenever I'm 50% or less in something which is leap and the net will appear because mm. that has been that has been true for me in every aspect of life and i really think that it's wasted energy to try to plan out everything that will happen and control it it's impossible to control everything so all you got to do is decide and then step forward and don't look back I mean, you can look back and be like, wow, that's so cool. I was over there like a little bit ago. <laughs> but yeah. I, I truly believe that for myself, I would not have ever started my own business had I not been pushed. Like the universe or whatever it was just said, get out of here. You hate it here because I was unhappy in, in my past job and I was unhappy in, in the environments that I was in. So whatever it was, if it was me that made it happen, but I got pushed out and I took that 
time to say, okay, it's now. Yeah, that's my advice. Good. I, I love that. I love that. And I think there is a lot of controversy over this whole side hustle, even just the term like hustler. I'm trying to rebrand it with the podcast and really get people thinking about the term again. Mm. But there's like this negative connotation around it where people are assuming that like entrepreneurs don't take care of like their health and their mental health. And for me personally, I know that I set aside the time I need to in order to make that a reality. But there are a lot of people out there preaching about working the 24-7 lifestyle. Yeah, not about it. (laughs) Yeah, I just, I don't think it's sustainable. I don't think, like, I get the concept of maybe a couple days a week, you have extended hours because you have to take care of a client project. But if you're going weeks on weeks on weeks working around the clock, you're going to burn out. And then you're not going to be able to service your clients the way that they deserve to be serviced. And it's not good for you. It's not good for the business. But like I said, there's that common misconception about it. And people think that as an entrepreneur, you have to be that way. So I I kind of see where you're coming from with like the whole side hustle. With that as well, when you have a side hustle and maybe things aren't going well in that side hustle, it's very, very easy to just kind of ditch the side hustle Mm -hmm. and go back to your corporate career because it's safe. Yeah. I think there's a lot of self-fulfilling prophecy type stuff that's available when you are doing both things because you have then, I mean, for me, I'm, when I'm not doing something hundred percent, I'm, I'm kind of looking for an out. So if, if you're, if whoever is listening to this is in that position, I would check in with yourself and ask, are you looking for an out? Are you looking to prove to yourself that your side business will never work? Because if so, then keep doing 50%. Mm -hmm. But if you are looking to actually walk away from it, then, then take steps to walk away from not from your business, but from the, the job that you are in or the lifestyle that's not serving you. And Mm -hmm. I know that that's what it would have been like for me because I'm, I get scared when change is happening. So it's much better for me to leap and just figure it out. Love it. Yeah. I kind of want to shift gears just a little bit into the more marketing and content side of things. So in your intake form, you talked about the power of words within marketing. So tell me why this is something that like lights you up inside. I love words. I think words are, they are so powerful. They have the power to change the world. I believe that. And if you look around, what we are consuming every day is lots and lots of words. We're also consuming video for sure. And we're consuming people's personalities on a scale that I don't think we've ever consumed before. But we're also reading a lot of content. It's just the way that content is being delivered to us has has radically shifted. I don't really remember the last time I sat down and read a New York Times article, but I'm receiving other thought leadership in little snippets from all over. So I, I really love, uh, for me, the reason I do what I do is because I believe in human connection. And I think that words are, a beautiful medium to connect with other people and to share our experiences to show people that they're not alone. And that's why I'm driven to keep writing. 
as our world progresses, we kind of we're getting into more of like the podcasts and the YouTube channels and like long form video content. How do you think that that's going to kind of shift the value of words? Do you think they'll always Mm. be important or do you think we're going to get to a point where people just want to consume things easier? Does that make sense? Yeah, I see what you're getting at. I do think that video content is is the number one tool right now in certain areas for certain audiences. So for the entrepreneur audience, like the people that are on Instagram very often, video content is huge, humongous. I guess I would say for a lot of marketing, you still need to write scripts mm-hmm. and you still need to write your message. And in order to show up, as a brand in a video, you do have to start with a really core understanding of your brand message and your the value proposition that you hold. So that's some of the work I love to do with clients, especially clients in the purpose space, because often there's, I find with passionate people is that they're all over the place a little bit. They're like, oh, I do this and I also do that. And, and I also have this little project that I do. And yeah, I don't know how to call it. And I don't know what to say about all those things. And so I take people from that like really scattered but passionate approach. And I get them to hone in on the actual impact and the singular promise that they give to people. So I'll give you an example, because I think it sounds fun. There's a charity that I've been working with in Toronto. Uh, They're a public art charity, and they, they basically install murals and installations all over the city. And they're, they're awesome. I see you mm-hmm. nodding because they're so cool. <laughs> I forget that people can't hear me nodding. So. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just remind people that you're nodding. Um, so they're super cool. And as a third party, like external to their organization, it's really easy for me to see what they do. But it's harder for them to see it because they live it day to day. So they are saying things like, oh, we are – we do all these different projects and they didn't really know what their singular statement was. So I helped them define that they transform urban communities by installing public art. Mm-hmm. And just by saying that small thing, we're able to make connections in people's minds about what they do and how they, how they have an impact. And yeah, so I really believe that, that that comes first and then you go out and you do all your video content stuff. Love it. Do you have any tips and tricks that people can use when it comes to creating their own content? It could be somebody just for their Instagram. It could be somebody who's starting out their business for the first time and they kind of want to work on their brand messaging. Do you have like any advice that you can give? Yeah, Absolutely. So the way I start working with anyone, and I would recommend if someone's going to do it themselves to also start this way, but first you have to sit down and figure out who it is that you're serving. Same way that I'm doing it in my business. Who am I serving and what do I want them to do? So for this charity, for example, they have a, they have a couple different audiences. This is really common in the not-for-profit space to have a lot of stakeholder groups. And you've got to decide where and how you're speaking to those groups so that it's not confusing to them. Because obviously when you write 
there's also a famous saying in, in writing, which is if you write for everybody, you write for nobody. Mm-hmm. I love reminding myself of that. <laughs> so I would say be specific and choose who you're speaking to in each place that you're doing it. So target audience, that's pretty much how I would sum that up. And then less is more. So especially for brand work and for getting started, I would challenge people to write a sentence or two, which sums up their brand identity. And then from there, you can expand into like what I would call the brand pillars or the core messaging pillars. And those are things you can draw on when you start your content. So let's say for this art charity, one of the things they want to do is is showcase to developers that they can partner with them to do these really large scale art installations in front of condos, for example. So when they speak to those people, they have to say that, oh, we're really cost effective. So that's like a message that they share or that we're really uh, community driven because a lot of developers want to be seen as involving the community or respectful of the community. So you can have these other messages but for your very succinct brand message, less is more and go for short. When you get into building your brand, there are so many things that they have out there now that you can do. You can create a newsletter. You can have a blog. You can have long form and short form Instagram captions, LinkedIn articles. Like it, the, it's literally endless. So do you have any advice on how to really pinpoint what platforms you should be using to share the content that you're creating? Yeah, so it all comes back to who the audience is and where are they. For example, if you are if you're targeting a corporate audience, it probably makes sense for you to spend your energy on places like LinkedIn as opposed to Facebook, let's say. So really important to spend the upfront time getting to know your audience in great detail. And that goes beyond, we'd like to speak to 40-year-old men. Okay, what kind of 40-year-old men? Are they, are they dads? Are they in partnerships? Do they live in an urban center or do they drive a car? What's their typical day look like? Are they, do they have apps on their phone? Are they up at 6 a.m.? Like these are kind of things that you can ask yourselves to get to really know that person. And then once you really know that that person or that demographic, then you can make these content decisions much easier because there's you're not sort of winging it or guessing it, which I think is kind of what a lot of people are doing with content. They're just sort of throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what happens. And honestly, that can be a good strategy too. If you don't know who your target is, you can do some of that market research, see where your stuff is getting picked up more so. But in general, if you have this, if you have this hard, hardcore backing of who it is, and you have a pretty good idea of where they might be living online, you can spend your time and energy there. Do you have a favorite platform that you use or a favorite type of content that you like to create? Like, are you the kind of person that likes to write blog posts or do newsletters for people? Like, where is the fire in you? I really love Medium. Okay. Have you heard of it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Medium is a really fascinating publishing platform. 
it's basically a blog, like an individual blog that is hosted on Medium. So you don't have to do any of that annoying stuff like pick a template and drive people to your website. Medium has, I believe, over 2 million worldwide readers. So why would you post your content somewhere else? Um, but what's really cool about Medium is that the community there is is really focused on personal growth and development. So if you're in the if you're in that space of um, learning about relationships or thinking about mental health and wellness or in general um, just building your personal awareness, it's a it's a really fascinating place to spend time reading because there's people from all over the world publishing really personal reflections of their life. And that's, that's kind of how I started in February last year when I got fired. I decided to, for the first time in my life, like step behind my own name as a writer because I've, I've been writing for companies for years and never have I actually stepped in, into my own name and said, well, this is what my voice sounds like and this is what I have to say today. So that was a really big step for me. And the community on Medium is really supportive. So, yeah, big fan. <laughs> Good. I love that. So tell me what your five-year plan is. Ooh. It's a, it's a big question. It's and that I know interview question. <laughs> it's, I know we talked a little bit at the beginning about not being so, like, dead focused on a plan and making sure that those things happen. But just in general, like, where would you like to see yourself in the next five years? That's so cool to think about. I would love for, I would love to have built a reputation in the Toronto community that if you have a view of a conversation that is difficult and you need to maybe host an event to talk about it, like for example, I'm thinking about diversity and inclusion which is a space that I'm really passionate about, or public art funding, um, anything public policy related, I would love to be the person to communicate about that. So I would love for people to be thinking, oh, I'm hosting this event about how we can include Indigenous people more in the corporate workplace. I need to hire Julia to help me with the communications plan and the content around this idea that I have. So in five years, I think I would be that go-to person and I can be supporting people in in a better way because my visibility will be there. Do you think that you will grow to the point where you have like an office, like a permanent office space with employees or are you very content on freelancing? I would love to see this evolve in in lots of ways. I think having a permanent space can do a lot for you. I would love to have, like, I love co-working spaces, but I would love to have a permanent desk within one or a permanent space. And I do foresee people supporting me. I actually have started bringing in some junior writers to help me with my work, which is really exciting because I love training people and giving advice as well. So I could see myself building a small team, maybe five. That sounds fun. (laughs) I love it. What legacy do you want to leave behind? 
aside from being that like go-to person, is there anything that you really want people to think about when they hear your name? I would love if if people remember that I made them feel a certain way. So I'm more I'm much more concerned at this stage of my life in having really authentic connections with people. And I would love if people thought about me and and said, oh, well, she's just a joy, a joyful person. It makes me happy to spend time with her. She's a great listener. These are more individual things that I've realized lately are more important to me than, I mean, I'd love to cause some, some bigger change. But in general, I think like really big change can happen between two people. And if we if we if we replicate that, then that's how we can make the world more compassionate. So I think on an individual level, that's my legacy. That's beautiful. I can say already that just from talking to you for the first time that I get that vibe from you. So um, I have no doubt that you make other people feel the same way. Cool. Thank you. The last question I have before we get into the rapid fire five, which I'll explain in a sec, (laughs) is how would you define the term hustle? As we were talking earlier, I thought I should have Googled the definition of that word (laughs) because I think I have at some point, there's actually funny story. There's a draft in my medium drafts folder that says, I hate the word hustle and here's why or something. Um, How would I define it? I think with hustle, I feel there's a certain amount of of like energy in that word. And I think for me, it skews on the side of anxious energy of like, you're really going for something and it feels a little bit frantic in a way for me. But uh, in general, I think it I define it as putting intense energy behind something. Mm-hmm. I like that. Nobody has said that so far. And I really, really, really like that. Okay. So the last thing I do before we close off the episode is called a rapid fire five. So it's five questions. You're just going to shout out your answer and then we're going to kind of close it off. Sweet. Okay. So the first question, your favorite local business. Fembot. Staple clothing item. Birkenstocks. Best place for good eats in downtown Toronto. Hello, one, two, three. Go to dance song. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Don't ask the dancer that question. <laughs> anything, anything with a like a snare underneath. And if you had a million dollars, how would you spend it? I would I would donate a bunch of money and then I would buy a really awesome house. Cool. (laughs) So before we close off the episode, why don't you just tell the listeners where they can find you? Yes. I would love for everyone to connect with me on Instagram. So I've just launched my brand new business account, which is at Julia Rose content, C-O-N-T-E-N-T. And I'm going to be sharing a bunch of things there. Some things will be content tips. So if you're looking for like free advice that'll be a great spot for that. And then also my authentic journey with 
with running my own business. It's, it's my belief to show up like as myself and not to hide too much and to be public about what's going on with me. So if you're looking for like some support in that area, would love to connect. Perfect. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, It's just really a great opportunity for me to connect some of, I guess you could say Ontario's hustlers with other people who want to hustle, but maybe they need a little bit of guidance and a little bit of support. So having you on here really means a lot to me, and I know it's going to mean a lot to our listeners. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me.